this episode, I talked to Sanji, who lived for 10 years as a sannyasin at the Rajneesh, later known as Osho, community in India. We talked about whether gurus are relevant nowadays, about subtle energy massage and her work with Michael Barnett, working with Bob Moore, psychosynthesis, trillium awakening, spiral dynamics, and what lies beyond waking up to our essential nature as the ground of being. So Sanji, welcome yes. to uh, the, um, uh, the, this uh, new venture, the podcast, guest number two. Yeah, um, <clears throat> so uh, we met quite recently, actually. Um, I think we, we connected with each other via email probably uh, five months ago, something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to uh, get to know more about your story. Uh, some of the guests I've, I'm having on this podcast I've known for a, for a long time and I know lots about them, but uh, um, you know, we, our acquaintance is quite a new one. Um, but I wanted to get you on, on here to hear your story because um, you know, the theme of this podcast series is, is hearing the stories of people um that their personal journey with this kind of multidisciplinary holistic integrating type of practice where they're pulling in these sort of pure strands from the world's traditions um and weaving their own unique blend um and uh, you know our, my hope is that this can be a service to other people who want to take up this type of approach to life um or, or people that might already been doing it for a while um but want to listen listen in to you know like a fly on the wall to other people's stories because it, it it really i find it really helps um that so um so perhaps you could just say how you you first got into this um you know what i just call a multidisciplinary approach to spiritual practice shall we say I'm, I'm sure you've been doing things for, for 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 a long time but there must have come a point where suddenly you realized there was more to the picture than what you had been doing maybe um i think i'm just a multidisciplinary person okay uh, yeah. when it comes down to it so um yeah i was i was basically broadly Christian in my not particularly upbringing my family weren't particularly religious or anything but I kind of got into Christianity and then I went to university and studied sociology and psychology and from that I became a researcher uh, and in the disciplines of sociology and psychology and for the last 34 years I worked at the Tavistock Institute, which is a, um, a not-for-profit organization that does consultancy research, um, trainings, professional trainings, group relations, and it's a multidisciplinary organization, so I felt totally at home there. But it's underpinning a, a system psychodynamic thinking. So I'm not a psych... I'm not a psychodynamic person myself but I've been there long enough and in my original 
psychology course, we touched on Freud and um, psychotherapy and such likes. So that's one side of my life. That's my sort of professional life. I'm essentially a, a researcher, but in a very broad discipline. Um, and interestingly, my one of my main interests currently is complexity. Um, and complexity means plaited together. Mm. And the image I always use when I'm talking about complexity is a, is a nice Celtic plait. Oh, so okay. when you were talking about those sort of interweaving, you know, I'm, I'm so at home in that interweaving of different ideas and themes. It's, it's what I bring to every part of my life, really. So yeah. that's what I mean. It's, it's so part of me that I can't say <laughs> when, it, when it came in. But anyway, at university, um, I was part of the Christian chaplaincy for a while, but I kind of fell out with Christianity because there were quite a lot of evangelicals around telling me I wasn't the right kind of Christian. So I said, fine, okay. Um, so I kind of parted company with the Christian God on good terms saying, if you're around, I'll meet you again. And then I found a, a little bit about Eastern religion and started to pick that up as an interest and meditation. Where, whereabouts and, were you during this time, like geographically? Okay, I grew up on the Channel Islands in Guernsey. Oh, okay. So I'm a Gern. <laughs> so I've been to Jersey that, a couple of times. Right. So even that, you see, it's like we're a little bit French, we're a little bit English. Mm. Um, but, but the twigs in between. Yeah, that's quite, that seemed, that is quite relevant, really, isn't it? It's, uh, that's an interesting background. So and it's a small there, so there's everything you need in a small space, so everything overlaps. And then I, I went to Bristol University, um, which was okay, not the best years of my life. But and after Bristol, I didn't know what on earth I was going to do, and I um, in, enrolled with a, a charitable organisation called Simon Community, which works with homeless people and got sent up to a community up in Glasgow. So I was working with Glaswegian homeless people for a couple of years. And um, through them, I encountered AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, which I was very impressed by. And I was actually very impressed by some of the recovering alcoholics I met there. I was very touched by them and their story and how they were as people, they were very wise sensitive people someone some people say that you know if you're sensitive growing up in Glasgow the only thing to be is an alcoholic because it's a way of dampening down the pain so um through that I was I got very interested in the power of groups self-help groups and around the same time someone called David Brandon who worked for Christian Action um was doing some research on homelessness and he came up to Glasgow and he at that time was quite involved with growth movement in London and something called enlightenment intensives. Uh, he later wrote a book, he was a professor of social work for some years and he wrote a book called Zen and the Art of Social Work. But anyway, he sat me down and started to go through the enlightenment intensive question, which is tell me who you are. Thank you. Tell me who you are. And I was so shaken up by this experience, <laughs> I had to go to bed for the rest of the day. 
but out of that i i kind of hmm you know i want to explore this and i want to explore the power of groups more and i'm not an alcoholic so that's not an option but i through him had heard about the growth movement which was just getting going in london really with lots and lots of different encounter groups and gestalt groups and body therapy groups all sorts of things so after i'd finished my stint in glasgow i i came down to london and um started exploring the growth movement and i started with an encounter group with someone called michael barnett who then became really central in my development at a later stage and then i moved on to join a six-month intensive with someone who had recently come back from India, where she'd been a follower of Osho Rajneesh. And in those days, we called them sannyasins. Mm -hmm. So she led this group in her orange robes. And, um, and this intensive was, it introduced us to a different therapy every month, really. We had lots of different people coming in and running workshops and weekends. Um, and at the end of that, I did a lot of body therapies through that time, which were very powerful for me, and a lot of screaming and shouting in encounter groups, which were also mm. very powerful for me. Can I just um, pick, pick up on yeah, a couple yeah, of things that you said? So, yeah, yeah. so this um, this growth um, uh, organization yeah. movement, um, I, I really like that because one of the ways you could define the types of people that um, you know have this multidisciplinary approach to transformational practices is they have a growth mindset. Um, mm. you know, uh, kind of out there in the culture is quite prevalent this idea that once you finish school, you're done growing, um, and that th that never really sat right with me. I mean, in so many ways, I felt my education really started when I left school because I was was able to to be in charge of what i was learning we're well, not in charge but you know i could direct my own learning for the first time mm. um and <clears throat> you know i love meeting people that are interested in growing across this broad spectrum of their identity mm. and, and i love the way this this growth movement had all of those modalities and techniques plugged into it really experimental and Perfect. and the you know the other thing that, that i noticed was um, Osho, you know, a very, very controversial character in many ways, um, but extremely brilliant at the same time, and very, very much one of those pioneers of integrating different traditions. Um, okay. Yeah, that's so, uh, so, you know, I got involved, I became a sannyasin after the group finished and went out to India for six months. And he would give a, a lecture every month on a different spiritual tradition and always talking about the esoteric core of the tradition. So, you know, just being around him and listening to his lectures, you've got an input on all the core spiritual esoteric traditions that there are, most of them anyway. And then he gathered around him in the ashram all these therapists from the human potential growth movement. So there were all these workshops and different kinds of meditations taking place in the ashram that you could take part in. So yeah, it was brilliant. Really good. Have you seen, um, I mean, a quite a popular documentary uh, at the moment, it's called Wild Wild Country on Netflix. Yeah, everyone. Have I've you seen, seen that? Yeah. Well, no, I, I just think when, when people, when, when you bring up Osho, yeah. 
um you know what Okay. Well, what most people have heard of Osho is the Rolls Royces, the you know all the sex and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I have I you know have, have had a fairly shallow um, encounter with Osho's work, you know, relatively, and uh, but I know that there's there's actually a lot of if you can get beyond all of that kind of public facade that mm. so many people are engaging with. Beyond that, there's something really profound. In this Osho thing, I mean, may, maybe you could just say a little bit more. Um, you know, what were the really, what were the great things? I mean, other than these mm. wide-ranging lectures he gave, you know, what were some of the other things, say, to do with the community and that kind of thing that that w you took away as valuable lessons from that experience? Uh, well, I was involved for about ten years, lived in a couple of centres, America and London. Um, it was a very loving, very authentic community because we were all both meditating and doing a work on ourselves simultaneously. Um, it was and a lot of the work. He was pretty extreme. I don't know if you ever came across the um, dynamic meditation, but that was that was got what got me into because I was doing this body work already. And then I saw his dynamic meditation and I thought, boy, I can do that every day for free instead of paying large amounts of money for an expensive weekend. <laughs> yeah. I'm a meanie when it comes to it. Um, so, you know, I started doing dynamic meditation, which involves, you know, fast breathing, jumping up and down, screaming your head off, going crazy. You know, it's all pretty extreme stuff. <laughs> but it, it like, it opens people uh, and in a way that, nothing I've done since does to quite such a deep extent. Could you describe for people that don't know what dynamic meditation is? Could you just oh, yeah. describe okay. it a little bit? So it's an hour long meditation and for the first 10 minutes you breathe fast and furiously through your nose. <laughs> don't think I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Something and and very often you do it with a blindfold on, so that you're in your own space. Then after the breathing finishes, you go crazy for ten minutes and just whatever you want to do: scream, shout, jump around, roll around the floor, anything you feel. And again, in your own space, so you're not interacting with other people. You're trying to steer clear of other people and their stuff. Then after that, again a voice or a bell or something and you jump up and down with your arms in the air shouting who and i think that's a sufi thing mm -hmm. but it's like it forces the energy up from the belly sort of who 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 um you do that for 10 minutes and then a voice says stop and you just stand totally still for another 10 minutes wherever you are you don't move anything You've got snot coming down your nose, which you probably have by then. <laughs> you just mm -hmm. leave it there. And then some very, very beautiful, because there were some lovely musicians. I mean, some very famous musicians who are still out there, um, Deuter, people like that. I think the music at the end was Deuter music. He was part of the Ashram. Um, beautiful music comes in, and you just gently dance for the last 15 minutes after that. Uh that, then you so go and have your breakfast. That um, an empty stomach. 
that that seems reminiscent a little bit of the of the five rhythms dancing have you come across that now it's no i've done five rhythms dancing yes um yeah no i mean it, there, it, there, it, there it, were it, other meditations that he did there was a nataraj meditation which was dancing for 40 minutes which i would mm. say more more like i mean i think now, i was thinking about the different sort of phases of that you go through with the with the phases, yeah, but there's yeah. nothing quite like um, breathing through your nose for ten minutes, jumping up no. and down. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, they they are different, but I, I'm, you know, yeah. one. I'm always sort of interested in how these things, uh, you know, develop over time, and you know, possibly some of these dynamic meditations. I, I don't know. I haven't actually looked. Might have fed into um, this five rhythms work. It may well have. I don't know. Maybe. So, I mean, the other thing about Sanyas in those days, and this was dropped when he left America, and just say I never went to America, I only went to India before he went to America. Um, I, I mean, I went very early on, so there weren't many Westerners there at all. It was mainly Indians and a few Westerners and before the groups came in and before the crazy sex thing happened. So he was just an Indian guru with some pretty powerful meditations at that point. Um, but at that time, we, if we wanted to become a follower of his, a sannyasin, as it was called, he called it Neo Sanyas, uh, we wore orange, we wore our mala, um, some beads around our neck with a picture of Osho, and we changed our name. So it was a pretty radical shift. And one of the things about, I've been talking to people in various spiritual organizations re recently, because one of my interests is on spiritual organizations and that whole process of identity shift when you get into a new spiritual practice is something that can be quite disorientating for people particularly if you're trying to maintain your normal life alongside it and i suppose one of the things about sannyas is that that, that shift into a new identity was very marked and it was almost held and contained so you you know you couldn't kind of pretend nothing had happened to the rest of the world you know here you are suddenly appearing in orange and saying please will you call me by a different name you didn't have to but you know so i was um during that time i, I was working in the civil service in the department of health and i you know i was an orange civil servant i would go to work in my orange and oh, my wow. colleagues took it very well <laughs> so um, unlike my then husband who i married while i was during that period and becoming a local authority housing officer in an orange suit was a little weirder i'd say but um so um but the other thing about the orange was that you would see someone in the distance and recognize them instantly so there was a very strong visual component to being being in a community yeah I'm just plugging some headphones in hmm. there we go and then, you know, I, I traveled all around America for a while and I went to groups in Europe and all sorts. And there were centers all over the place and y you were sort of could go to any center and feel part of it was it was very a strong family fe feeling. Could, could you movement. could you say something about the. Um, you know the the emotion the interpersonal emotional work you were doing you know the sort of uh, <clears throat> we might char characterize as psychotherapeutic work you were doing 
in that in that time you know what did that look like i mean i think um you know the types of meditation osho were doing people would be familiar with what was what was the you know how were you as you, i think you said working on your stuff you know how did that how did yeah. that come into it because well, I mean, it's, it's so important to uh, yeah sure yeah. i mean a lot of the people from the human potential movement became involved in osho with osho and became part of his community and so there was encounter groups and there were gestalt groups and there were bodywork groups and there were you know any therapeutic modality that was kind of around was part of the community uh, for myself um i mean i did a lot of encounter quite a lot of gestalt uh, mainly in groups uh, not so much one-to-one work um and it it blasted me into a very sort of authentic sharing with other people because when you're doing an intense group like that um you can't hide what what does an encounter group look like Uh, what might go on um so you're sitting around in a circle with a group leader or perhaps two group leaders and you're invited to share whatever's going on but you're also invited to share any feelings that are coming up about other members of the group and then encouraged to address that authentically now one of the problems with encounter groups from my point of view was it it pushed people into very extreme emotions so there was a lot of tears and shouting and screaming in Osho, there there was a time when it was no limits, so there was real fighting going on, and sometimes real sex going on in the groups that stopped after a while. Too many broken bones, um, but you know, for a while it was there are some very extreme confrontations going on. I think in terms of working on subtler levels of emotion, I mean there was a lot of caring and love and hugs and you know the whole group group hugs and all that kind of thing as well but it wasn't a safe enough space usually to do the kind of deep trauma work that you know now we understand with somatic traumatic work Peter Levine and stuff you have to have a totally safe space so that you can enter into the traumatic experiences and come back to the safe space and try try I traped between the two and that was missing basically it was like if you can just get in there thump a pillow shout at someone that will get rid of the trauma and we know now actually we were probably busy re-traumatizing ourselves in some cases rather than actually but I mean for me I rediscovered my anger which I totally clamped down I, I had quite a bad temper as a child and when I was about 12 I tried to throw my sister downstairs and sort of at the top of the stairs and my sister I suddenly oh my god you know it's like this is not good so from that time I actually didn't experience my anger or my temper so it was like I was able to get in touch with anger again and loosen up and that released a lot of joy as well because if you're clamping down on one emotion you clamp down on all the emotions really yeah yeah 
it's not so preci- it's not precision clamping no, is it? No. But it, it, I, yeah, that's a really so common a, story uh, yeah. with sorry yeah yeah uh, well no i'm just saying there was a lot of joy in the group because you know when you start releasing all that emotion out of that comes a lot of ecstasy and joy as well mm. i love it i think it's it it's so bold um what was going on there and it's pioneering you know and it's anyone who's doing pioneering work you know is is great things happen and awful things happen and it's um absolutely you know it's you but that's the sort of progressive impulse you know it's the the opposite the sort of more conserving impulse never likes to do anything dangerous (laughs) they're both important i mean you need a conserving and a progressive um you know pole impulse really um but um yeah i mean one of the things that that i liked about the community is that it was really encouraging individuals to flower as individuals and so although there was a lot of group stuff going on you know a lot of people i knew in sanyas were isolates you know Mm. they like to keep themselves to themselves and that was fine too you know it's like there was space for everything i think that um getting in touch with owning and integrating your rage uh you know is is a very common story for people that get into spiritual stuff Mm. um you know when you when you first get into the spiritual work i mean this is a generalization but it's quite common conversation i've had with people and it's certainly been the case with me that you kind of think it's all this kind of very quiet you know you think of um you know the sort of archetypal image of these really peaceful saintly uh, characters that you assume never get get mad or uh, or angry mm-hmm. um but then you sort of after a while of doing that you realize you've you've kind of cut off a a, a fountain of life force you know mm-hmm. and, and it, that and then that spurs people onto this journey of becoming familiar with their own anger you know and it's and that's quite a rocky ride um uh, but so worth doing and you know it takes a bit of time to do but uh very 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 important thing to do i think yeah and i mean i suppose because i mean briefly i got involved with krishnamurti community before getting into osho but osho was in a sense my first full exposure and that Mm. it wasn't that kind of spirituality i mean he was he was very much into crazy wisdom and zen the zorba the buddha was one of his favorite sort of expressions you know the cafes were called zorba so that sort of exuberance of zorba and the serenity of buddha alongside each other was central to the whole culture and ethos Mm. so then um what comes next in your story (laughs) well alongside that I, I kind of, through the groups, I discovered I had a, a capacity for massage and healing. So I, I trained for about two or three years out with someone who wasn't involved with the Sanyas community, a lady called Anne Parts, American. She's still teaching somewhere in the USA, I think, who taught really beautiful um, and energy-based massage so I trained with her and she used to invite in someone called Bob Moore who was a Danish healer 
who's also very powerful, who could read auras. And so I got into that and started practicing as a massage therapist. And also alongside that, I did about two years training in psychosynthesis as well. Um, could, could you say describe psychosynthesis? Briefly? Okay, so Asagioli, who set, developed psychosynthesis, was um, a contemporary of Freud. So he was part of the psychoanalytic community, but he also had some interesting links with the esoteric traditions of the time. I can't remember which teachers he was involved in, but he brought a spiritual dimension into psychotherapy. So um, psychosynthesis is, is a spiritual version of psychotherapy okay. in a way. It's, it's uh, very lovely, but he used visualization a lot and um, drawing. He didn't write a lot, but you know, there's a big movement. I split into two or more movements now, but I'd still, I still go back to a, a go-to place sometimes if I want to. I, I needed to work with um, a coach around an, a work issue that came up a few years ago, and I, I went to a psychosynthesis work coach. You know, so as a, as a foundational way of working, it's very, very lovely. So I, yeah, I did that for a while, and then um, also another person who was involved with Osho was someone called Michael Barnett, who was called Samendra, was his sannyas name, and he started to develop some very powerful energy-based ways of working in a group which used mu music, the whole group tuning into the energy of each other and the group. And it was very powerful work. He developed it at the ashram. And then I was working in the London Osho Centre and he came back and ran some groups there. And around that time I got married and my husband and I then moved out to America to an Osho community there. And Michael actually came and ran some groups and trainings there, which we were involved in. While I was in America, it was the time that Osho also came to America and he was living in New York State. I was in Massachusetts. And that was the beginning. That was before he went to Oregon. And that was the time there was a massive power battle going on between the various leaders of the community, between Sheila, who was in charge in Osho, and um, uh, Lashmi, who'd been in charge in England. And I was totally aware of these power battles that were going on because I was so closely involved and so close to where he was. There was a lot of coming and going between the centre I worked in and where he was living. Um, but eventually my, my husband and I had to come back to England anyway, um, probably visas, but various other reasons, money running out, etc, etc. So we came back and that was the time that um, Oregon was set up and I never went to Oregon. Um, I didn't like the stories that I heard coming back from it. It wasn't the movement I had been involved in, which was all about spontaneity and joy. And, and that was all about hard work. And there was something very uncomfortable coming through, which I just did not like. Um, so he would go for if people have seen Wild Wild West, our show would do a drive-by each day in his 
many I didn't like Rolls Royce bit at all. Um, and all the sannyasins would come back from it, their workplace and stand along the roadside and celebrate. And the, the word was coming out that, that Sheila and the inner core were going around and telling people to, to celebrate more vigorously. Well, that for me was the absolute antithesis of what I'd picked up so far, which was about being authentic, mm. you know. So something was going wrong at that point. So I was drifting to the side and then Michael, who's just one of we, the- Just before yeah, we get yeah, off, off our show um, yeah. <clears throat> and that, that period, um, you know, we, the kind of present time we live in, uh, you know, with the internet and stuff and so many documentaries and books been written about gurus and scandals and mm-hmm. all of this. So there seems to be not many gurus or organizations built around gurus that have made it, you know, through with a squeaky clean record. Um, <clears throat> do, how, do you feel that, that, that the age of gurus is over? Um, or if you know if you do then why if you don't think the gauge of gurus is over how do you think people can approach that decision uh, to to enter uh, a relationship with a guru or a community in a way that's going to protect I mean, you know, life is dangerous, um, but you know, guru, we can't... gurus are dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Even the best ones are dangerous. You know, they might just take your life away. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and we were not talking about t- taking the fangs out of a snake. You know, so uh, 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 you know, snake has fangs. That's what it is. You know, it's. it's um, but I'm not not saying that gurus are, are like snakes necessarily. But you know, what advice would you give to somebody that might be wanting to do that now well the first question is is the is the age of gurus over that you asked i mean i'm deeply grateful that i was part of all that i would never ever 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 get back into that relationship with a teacher again but the devotion that i experienced at that time was very heart opening and very beautiful and held me in a space that allowed me to go through a lot of transformation. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful the fact that he was such a big character. He did create this whole community around him. And that was um, powerful. Um, do I know of anyone who was damaged through that apart from there were more people damaged traveling backwards and forwards to india i would say than experience at the ashram it's quite dangerous sometimes Mm. um in a sense i wouldn't want to it's a funny question because you know i really have a deep trust that our spiritual path is evolving in us and we have to go where we're drawn so you know the opportunities people have today are going to be different and what people are drawn to i think there's a very fine line between a charismatic leader of any kind and narcissism as we see loud and clear in the world today so i'm sure that a lot of the best gurus have very strong narcissistic traits and i suppose anything that one can learn about narcissism and protecting yourself against narcissism is important in terms of being around that kind of character. Well, I've heard some people say that 
maybe the new model might be there's some kind of group of trustees um a group of trustees that you know they have psychotherapists that are part of the group which work with the leaders you know of these organizations well, and there's a lot of transparency yeah. and they're the leaders are accountable to say an independent group of trustees and that kind of thing is what do you think of that um well there's two things firstly i think that the the gurus that do real damage are the ones who haven't any done any work on themselves and haven't confronted their shadow so i think part of the process of becoming a teacher should involve some kind of psychotherapeutic work um I have had experience, I mean, I think it was true of Osho, but it, others as well, is you can set whatever guardrails you like around someone like that. They will always escape. Hmm. They will destroy anything that gets in their way. So, you know, it's like if they're signed up, fine. Um, but do, so do you, I, yeah, 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 we need, well, you know, we're you not, know, we're not, we're not going to answer. You see, we, you see it like with Trump, you know, it's like he systematically gets rid of his, yeah. anyone who's trying to hmm. hold him in. Maybe, maybe there are, yeah, well, I, you know, I don't have the answer. I mean, it's, <laughs> um, I don't think, it, I don't, th I think this is an inquiry that the entire. There's, you know, a, could, there's, could, there's a lovely book. Um, or she's written several books, uh, Kaplan, I can't remember her first name. Mariana Kaplan. Maria, yeah, she, so she wrote Halfway Up the Mountain, which was about gurus teaching too early in their awakening. So, you know, half-formed, half they haven't really become mature in their teaching. But the, a more recent one is called Eyes Wide Open, and it's all the dangers that can be created in followership rather than in the guru yeah i think yeah i'd that, recommend that book mm, to anyone right um yeah that's that's a good point it, it people it's who discrimination go, is the thing she's you know yeah. keep your eyes open and yeah. trust trust your instinct yeah if something is feeling off yeah you can't i, I think um you can't go into this like uh, a a child expecting to meet a parent that will tell you everything to do you know it's people people have to it, it's it's a kind of a mutuality in a way between that you you're, you're both responsible the the gurus and the leaders of these organizations have to take responsibility but also the people who become participants have to take responsibility for their own lives too but you know quite quite a lot of the time in uh you know young people 16 or 18 are getting involved and you know that's quite a vulnerable age i know what i was like when i was 18 i'm very impressionable and i hadn't developed a very strong ego or sense of discrimination um well. and maybe that's just the peril of that particular age uh you know being the being young like that and there's nothing we can do about it but no, and I mean, I see the same dangers as rising in, you know, I'm, I'm doing a particular study of spiritual organizations at the same, at the moment, so I'm particularly 
sort of involved in all this, but I've seen it in organizations that don't even necessarily have a strong guru figure. You know, it's not just the guru, it's the danger of people who have not processed their psychological stuff engaging with the power of spiritual energy. Mm. You know, so anything that's off will often become accentuated or exaggerated. Um, and and people, yeah, and people are hugely vulnerable, partly because they're projecting all their parental stuff on the teacher, but it's also that entering into a spiritual journey, you, you have to take off your defenses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very... I mean, one of the things I like about the Trillium work, which I'm involved in, Trillium Awakening, is it's a collective of teachers. We have a very clear set of ethics, and not only do we have a clear ethics agreement between us, but we've got a process for dealing with something that goes wrong. And some of the organizations I've been looking at might have a code of ethics, but they don't have a process for implementing it. You know, it's like yeah. if you break the rules, you leave. But no, you know, a, a normal organization has a has a complaints process. Yeah. You know, has a process to have people be accountable to the whole. So you need you need a code of ethics and you need a process. Well that that's one of the you know, we think if we think of body, heart, mind, spirit, that's why i I feel mind is a, is an important part of this spiritual um multi uh, you know a, a truly whole spiritual uh, growth mindset that there's a kind of anti-intellectualism in a lot of spiritual communities and to do something as mundane as create a code of eth a code of conduct or a manifesto or an organization yeah so, any of that I stuff i don't it, like organizations yeah spiritual. It's, it's the sort of de the devil you know it's like that kind of stuff only only square that's people, what normal people do yeah that's it square people do that but <laughs> You know, know, it's uh, that in a way that that's shooting yourself in the foot by by not mm -hmm. provide. You know, that's providing some kind of it's a, it's a structure, a container uh, mm -hmm. that that exists outside. It's a third person thing. It's not it's not to do with your truth or you know, it's a mm -hmm. second person thing. It's a it's a third person artifact out there that mm -hmm. is the touchstone. I think mm. it's uh, that that's great that that Trillium has that. Um, mm. I think that's really important. Mm. But I think it's still then an interesting thing about where is the fire in an organisation which is a collective, and in terms of the integral, you know, it gets a bit green memey because mm -hmm. everyone's got to agree with each other. Yeah. So finding a structure that both allows for that collective agreement and still has the fire that is what draws people ultimately we actually did an exercise in the teacher retreat two years ago where someone actually took us through the different um the different memes um the sort of integral the spiral dynamic memes and as an organization we realized we, we needed more red yeah you know so which is the the sort of fire and the yeah you know, um so so I think collect collectives is probably where it's going, but we're still learning a lot about how that can be effective for a spiritual organization. But yeah, that is really transformative. 
that that's a really good point um and uh, i mean some of the people who listen to this might be unfamiliar with spiral dynamics and these these v memes um <clears throat> but you know you could simply say that uh you know when you get a large group of people together and everybody's opinion has to be given equal weight you encounter this massive stagnation and impotence and inability to do anything um and the the red you were talking about there is more of that kind of forceful powerful egocentrism egocentrism um <clears throat> that is that you know D donald trump is a is a good example of that i mean uh you know he's got that raw power uh and fire in in spades um but you know he lacks all the other stuff to, you know uh, but but the idea with this spiral dynamics thing is that you're bringing all of these things online at the same time um and and the you know the that you can have this kind of group consensus thing where people are bringing their own egocentric strength and, and a strong uh, rational mind to it as well um and keeping some of these more sort of traditional structures in place too that you know you're conserving what has worked before as well and you, you kind of bring all of that together and, and the, the hope is that um you know that creates something that is powerful compassionate um and effective in a modern world too so so going on uh in your story uh yeah so uh i was saying that michael barnett was one of the main group leaders around osho and um he went out to one of the annual celebrations out there and it was a time when Sheila was basically clearing out the any rival there's a real battle going on. I've got a cat squeaking in the background. That's right. Actually, so yeah, you, you, you slightly broke up there, but so you're saying Sheila was cleaning out any rivals. Yeah. So um, Michael got thrown out of the community. And at that time, if you got thrown out, you were persona non grata. Um, and sannyasins were supposed to have nothing to do with you. Um, so overnight, he actually, he was part of a community in uh, Belgium at the time, and uh, a sannyas community, it was his community. Um, so he kind of lost his friends, his job and his home all instantly with this being thrown out. God, that's so brutal. what to do but get enlightened, which he did went off with his pregnant girlfriend and spent some time processing all that and then started his own work and at that point we reconnected with him um in his new incarnation he called it the wild goose company which i love the name um and we actually invited him by then my husband and i were living in glastonbury and we invited him to come and do a group there and in order to do that, to engage with him in that way, we in effect had to give up sannyas. So we both took off our malas and our orange clothes. And um, I then became very involved with his work for, and, and have been up till now, so that's about 30 years. And he died about three months ago and this coming Sunday would have been his 90th birthday. So 
I've known him. He was the first group leader I went to in when I was about 26. I'm now 72. So he's been a, an influence right the way through as a sannyasin and then uh, since that in his current work, which is very subtle, very beautiful work with, well, with subtle energy as a way to spiritual insight. Um, and that's what I've been doing throughout, really. So subtle energy is a very, very mm -hmm. broad world. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, th I think I've found people find it quite difficult to make sense of everything that lies in, you know, lies in there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very difficult if you've not, because I taught massage for some years mm. and I taught tuning into energy as part of the massage trainings that I ran mm. and most people got it if you get them to do the right kind of exercises and sensitizing their hands and feeling into the energy and etc. Yeah. Most people get it, but some people can't. So, well, um, I mean, I, I was can never pick up on the, the sense of it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you're, I, I think I was thinking that, that, you know, different people have broken down the subtle realm into all of these different gradations um if, if you know what i mean um yeah i mean you know, some of the sort of the theosophists and no no this it, was it, all about experiential so this is it, a diff yeah i, I mean i'm just no trying to to think when, when you say when you say subtle energy work i'm trying to kind of get a handle of what type of subtle energy you're talking about on you know you must have heard of all the different breakdowns of astral this and uh, yeah but i never talked to hear about them talked about in terms of what they what the experience was Mm. I mean, with Michael's work, there is no, there's very little by way of philosophy about it. It's just the idea that we are swimming constantly in energy fields. We are an energy field and all these things can be experienced and responded to. So from my energy field, I can respond to your energy field, but it's not coming through the mind. It's coming through my response to you. So a lot of the work was very spontaneous. Well, spontaneous is one word to describe it, but you know, it's like, where do you feel pulled? So I might sort of put my hand out and, you know, where do I feel pulled to touch you? You know, it's might be, I feel like tweaking your nose, you know, mm. that might be an energy response to my, my field of energy and your field of energy coming together. But it was, it's, totally experienced through the body it's not about processing or having an idea about it so do you um i mean i've i've had massages like that and i've had some energy treatments where people haven't even been touching my body mm -hmm. um more kind of energy healing um sure. would be the phrase for that um so how how did you develop you know, sometimes people think uh you know someone might say you know i've never been very sensitive to these kind of things or that you know you might meet someone else who says i'm just so sensitive i always have been ever since i was a child and you know do, do you think is this something that's always been a feature of of your 
in your life? Um, was it something that you had to develop and train? Um, you know, did you have a natural well, no, I, position I, towards it? I trained in it because I discovered I had the facility. Oh, you were, yeah, you were saying. Yeah, partly through doing the groups, you know. Mm. And, um, it wasn't something think, you experienced as a child, necessarily. I did. I, right. I mean, I know now that I did, absolutely. And I'm just at the moment, I'm doing this in very lovely embodiment um, facilitation training um, and really learning much in a much more deep level to tune into the wisdom of my body in a much more conscious way. I just come back to a point you, you I can't remember what it was you said, but my life was always split in a sense between my my intellectual life because I was a researcher, you know, my <laughs> I'm a you know, I have a PhD, da 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 da. So I'm actually a very mind person, but my spiritual life has always been thank you very much, that's the weekday, set it aside, let's go and do this because I feel drawn to, and I'm going to leave my mind, to a certain extent, outside the door. I mean, not entirely, but, you know, I, I was very split mm -hmm. for a long time, but what I realised was that in all the spiritual practice and the group going into growth movement or whatever, I was using my body wisdom. It was my body wisdom taking me there. And I, I can recognise right back um as a child having a very strong sense of what was going on and having insights which you know finding things which my sister would rather meanly hide from me because she didn't want me to have it or what you know and i'd have dreams or i'd have senses of where it was even if she hid it you know sellotape to the under of a, a side of a shelf in the spare room where never no one goes you know i would mm. find it so and i would have a sense that I was you know premonitions were very strong for me and, and all that so yeah it was all going on but um through the body so the the mind was never really and that was before I was using my mind very actively so did that but, did how did that work I mean you you, you know so you have this split between your 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 hmm. day your day job and then your leisure time where well, leisure you know whatever spiritual yeah. exploration time you know, that seems that's quite a stark contrast. Was there a point where you thought, I can't do this anymore? Uh, or I did that always it, work no, for I you? I took a break um, when I... When I joined the Sanyas community, I'd been working as a researcher in the Department of Health before. I left, I went to America for a while, then I went to Glastonbury and did massage and made candles and had my hippie period for about five years and then I actually got invited back to the Department of Health to cover someone's maternity leave and that got me back into research and then I joined the Tavistock Institute um, where everyone thought they were weirdos there anyway so you know we were a bunch of weirdos together so it was a very um, loose organizational community to be part of and I felt and still do feel very at home there mm. um, Doing Michael's work, tuning into energy, was very helpful in terms of I have brought that into my work. So when I'm working, even if I'm working with my mind, you know, if I'm doing a piece of research, I'm still functioning in terms of tuning into the energy alongside that. Um, and sometimes the two don't match. You know, one of my 
I don't do it so much now, but I have to research, write research bids, for instance. And sometimes, you know, I've got to write this bloody research bid. My gut instinct, my energy field is saying, this is not going to fly. So, um, you know, I can't operate on in an energy way purely, but I'm using it. But 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 the split was coming more that Michael's work was very very powerful in terms of um, just blasting into a space of very quiet mind and very in touch with consciousness. I mean, it's very very powerful spiritual work. Um, and then it was difficult to come back. At one level, it, it kind of shuts down the left brain. So it was quite difficult to come back into left brain activity after a weekend of that. <coughs> I, I would sometimes have, well, firstly, I'd take some days off, but also I would sometimes do some cross-calling as a kind of exercise, which is about balancing the left, right brain. But, you know, I had to work to, to come back in. And it was the integration of the two only really came through doing the Trillium work. Because in Trillium, firstly, we're, we're talking more. We're actually meeting in groups and talking about our experience. So there's a sort of integration of expressing your experience in words, which is really helpful. And secondly, I had what in Trillium is called the second birth, these days called whole being realization, in which I, at one point, my consciousness did a flip. And so instead of... What, what I was feeling before that was, you know, in these weekends, I would go into this space of very spacious sense of consciousness and then lose it. And in flipping, I realized, of course, I was the consciousness, but a lot of the time I, my attention was on this limited me. Um, and, and actually, at any time, there's a possibility of putting the attention on consciousness and consciousness is there. So that was the point at which it really sort of the split. And then Trillium, it's, yeah, Samuel, before that waking down, came up with the term the core wound, which is this split between the spiritual conscious unlimited side and that limited conscious um, human side. And I was experiencing that as a, a very powerful experience coming out of a weekend with a with Michael, particularly with him himself there, because he transmitted a very powerful energy, um, and then coming into work. Mm. I don't know if that's an answer to the question. I can't remember what the question. Yeah, was. yeah. Well, no. Well, it, it um, you know, it was it, it was feeling this split between you know the sacred and profane, perhaps you know was mm. was where I was phrasing it, and <clears throat> what you said, uh, I think is is great because. Um, for me, at some point, um, you know, uh, about 10 years ago, my locus, location of identity shifted from being totally identified with my personality to um, being more identified with the, this sort of spacious consciousness um, yeah that that is you know people call the ground of being you know but i mean we could just simply refer to that as awareness um 
you know to make it more normal and accessible for people because it, it isn't this is this it's not a it's not a, a, a weird some weird thing that's not part of everybody's lives it's just they haven't actually noticed i think you know well, so, that, that was what i that was the big thing about my experience was i suddenly mm. realized well of course it's always there yeah. and it's very simple it's very ordinary it's very normal once you've recognized but it, there's, i think we have to go through a big journey sometimes all the way out there to come back yeah but it um in zen i think they call it the gateless gate because it, it feels like you've gone through some gate into some new territory but there was no entry into it ever it, you've always been there yeah. um but w when that shift happens for you suddenly your your relationship with your life or life in general has completely changed um in in this this kind of opening uh everything takes on this um character of, of of connection and um perf perfection really uh from that perspective and i mean i'm not putting this forward as as the as the end of the journey um or, or the whole truth but it's a very important moment for people when 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 that shift happens uh, and i think that shift happens in very different ways and the experience very differently for different people and i think that's again the great thing about trillium that we sit around and talk about our experiences and you go oh that it happened like that for you there's nothing like that for me mm. you know so um, well, that, that's really good to hear that that in trillium um which is this organization you, you're part of now um you actually talk about your experiences absolutely. of of awakening because it's it's that's taboo in so many traditional settings that you is talk absolutely what we took me yeah. right in there you know we yeah. never talked about it in michael's work you just kind of went woo woo and then you saw everyone else go woo woo and you weren't feeling woo woo and you're thinking what's wrong with me you know it's like and then you talk to someone and you realize they weren't woo woo at all you know it's yeah. like whatever but yeah to talk about it is brilliant and because in, in a it's say like a sort of um we've been talking about zen quite a lot but as you know sort of traditional zen setting or, or maybe not that i mean I, Zen's yeah, I actually probably quite good thing. at it but you know some yeah. of these more traditional meditation traditions if exactly. you start talking about your experiences of enlightenment you'll get a, you'll get a, a sound bollocking <laughs> <laughs> you know it's really unwelcome yeah uh, it's only the teachers allowed to talk about that hey <laughs> yeah and i i i i think that's great you know that, that these conversations are going on and i i personally feel that's it's really important you know to to talk about these things you but i i think what you learn from that is some people have a dramatic experience and some people have a um yeah a, a much and it was much less dramatic for me and well, mine I, wasn't I dramatic want... either it, no. very very it just like oh wow i never even noticed i can't believe yeah. it and then then that experience has never left me Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to tell you a story from my first sort of spiritual breakthrough, which is very early before I became a sannyasin, actually. I went to something called an enlightenment intensive, um, which is three days intensively working on the question, who am I in pairs? And you change pair every 15, every five minutes. And, um, you know, and one person listens, the other person answers, you know, tell me who you are and you answer. It's very, very intense, very powerful. And I was doing it with a friend from Glasgow and Charles Berner, it was run by him and he, he set up this whole process and he gave a talk 
on the third day and he said you know some people get elephants and some people get dead mice you know whatever is right for you mm. so my friend and i had been avoiding us each other for most of the time he came over and said i'm going to work with you and he said i just got a deed moose <laughs> <laughs> and i got a deed moose too i mean i got a mouse of an experience but it was like i call it a mouse not a deed moose these mm. days but you know it was like acknowledging that it can be a, like a just a little flip rather than a sort of massive because it, so it, many of the teachers yeah. talk have had this sort of massive awakening that yeah. totally transforms their lives well that that's really a really important point to make because it if people are all looking for a massive experience they're going to miss they, you know, if their if their way was going to be one of these more subtle uh, mm. versions, they would not. We wouldn't notice it if they, they were looking for the big thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I mean, one of one of the great paradoxes of awareness and consciousness is that awareness and consciousness is the place from which you do the looking. So <laughs> you you can't actually see awareness or con or formless consciousness. No, that's um, why it's easy, easy to miss, like yeah, easy to miss the nose if you didn't it. have a mirror. I mean, looking for it is actually a very uh, misguiding term in a way, yeah. you know. And, and but, you have to. But, you know, you know one, of the, one of the reasons why I um, connected with you in the first place is that, uh, you know, for a lot of spiritual traditions, uh, meditation traditions, that is the end that's the that's the kind of goal yeah. no and i love in Trinium it's called second birth it's a birth not a an end yeah so then you know so so some a lot of people are sold the story that you know that happens to you and then poof, you know it, you don't need to, it's all finished growth stops there it's another one of those things you know where it's like growth <laughs> stops so you know we you and i have, have you know have, uh, you know connected around this idea um <clears throat> have connected around this idea that that's not the end of the story so so what comes next well in the trillium tradition what comes next is what samuel called the wake down shakedown and that's when things get really bumpy you know it's not bliss and joy well there might be quite a lot of bliss and there's an, a nice hopefully a bit of um a honeymoon period and then the ship hits a fan because mm -hmm. you know it's like consciousness comes in and starts throwing out throwing up all the unprocessed stuff to be processed i mean so probably in a lot of traditional um religions in the esoteric schools you you work for years and years and years before even beginning to do whatever you needed to do to have an awakening now in our world we don't hang around for that so to have some sort of awakening experience quite early on, you've then got all the shit to process yeah. afterwards, but you're doing it from a place of consciousness. Now, that doesn't mean to say you don't lose it in the middle of whatever shit is hitting the fan currently. But, you know, you, you and, and it, stuff moves through quite fast because you're doing it in, it's held in consciousness. So, I mean, in Trillium, it's talked about particularly the first five years. It's a pretty rocky space to be through. And, and a lot of people go into therapy during that time. 
and really start to work on shit. I mean, I'd been working on stuff for a long time before, so I had a good basis. And I didn't have a very heavy duty weight down, shake down. I mean, stuff came out very strongly, but mm. I'd done lots of processing. Um, do you, do but, you have like an ongoing therapeutic relationship with with a therapist or I mean what you know well, what does what what your your practice look like nowadays in that kind of realm right, okay so several of the Trillium teachers are therapists and so one of the things in in Trillium is working with a teacher now I'm an interning teacher now um, but I still will have sessions with other experienced teachers more experienced than me or with different experience you know it's like you come to the stage where okay so earlier this year I did a, a Sufi course uh, because I was attracted to it for other reasons but you know it was a beautiful one for rounding out the awakening of the heart mm. I'm currently doing this embodiment course which is nothing to do with Trillium but it's really grounding in me in my body in a way that's engaging my mind as well um, so yes, it's, and I think most of us in Trillium are doing some kind of work either with other teachers or, you know, whatever is drawing us to, you know, whatever the stuff is that's coming out that we need to, to process really. Um, my I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the Sufis there. My, my, uh, you know, sort of first half of my spiritual journey was very Buddhist. Um, and gave i you know was there's quite a kind of cold vibe energetically that comes from from a lot of buddhism not not all of, of buddhism um but it's a kind of general mm. vibe that comes off it and and i suddenly i i realized that I, my heart had been kind of cut off really and i and i then became very interested in um you know, christian christian saints and and sufis and um you know got really into it uh, Idris Shah and Rumi and Hafez and uh, Kabir um I love and, uh, Hafiz. sorry I love the poetry of Hafiz yeah all that stuff <laughs> that and I feel I feel like the Abrahamic religions really really developed this incredible mm. law around the hearts and um, the more Eastern traditions, I mean, these are massive generalizations. Of course, you got Bhakti mm -hmm. yoga and stuff in, in India, but um, you know, the, the, the sort of Buddhist thing is quite, is quite uh, you know, wisdom focused, perhaps, or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm struggling to find the word from it, but, mm -hmm. but I, I think bringing those two streams together it is a really important step um because you know I, I really feel you know this body heart mind spirit you know they they're all they're <clears throat> they're all important at different stages in one's journey you you feel you recognize that a certain part of this of that spectrum of your identity has been kind of you know uh, left out of the, the, the game yeah. yeah and that's you know that's that's the journey it's like feeling those gaps and doing what's needed to address that so again in trillium we often talk about you know some people awaken from the from the crown chakra into consciousness some people from the heart into sort of devotion and heart consciousness and some people from the belly which is just that very simple being 
consciousness and and each person has their own process to awakening really and then after um whichever one is taking you through to whole being realization whatever which is absolutely awakening through the whole and bringing it into the body it's not a it's not a going out there sort of awakening um but then then one is sort of rounding out the picture as it were and there are a couple of people in trillium and a couple of the teachers who've started been developing maps of the post whole being realization process and one of them rod has done a very beautiful one and he he well it's very much true of him but he you know this awakening of the heart um is is almost the next stage after the the awakening to consciousness and it's almost sometimes you need the the grounding in consciousness to be able to to cope with the awakening of the heart i yeah my in my for me uh i wouldn't have had the courage to go so deep into my heart before Absolutely. i had before i had uh you know a more familiarity familiarity with the with my identity as this great openness yeah. and and and, all, and also being embodied actually probably. oh yeah yeah so and to, I, to ground that because otherwise uh, yeah that's it and i mean i by the time i was getting more into this heart stuff i had a strong foundation of physical uh work i was doing i mean my my the work of the body work i've tended to do has been a has been a uh, less subtle you know there's been a bit more gorilla <laughs> type you know uh, no, me too. strength strength <laughs> focused but i, I think you know that you, emotions are so powerful um and and these kind of what you might call transpersonal emotions that you experience in your heart the type of heart awakening we're talking about can be really destructive to your health um if I mean, if not me, if, if 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 you don't have that that kind of physical container to hold it as well for me it's the awakening to nature that's the most heartbreaking mm. so particularly at this period of yeah. ecological damage i mean that that's what really breaks my heart yeah rather than i mean people are pretty heartbreaking characters too but uh it's it's, it's a different quality the same for me but and, and also becoming a parent my heart broke i mean the instant my children were born it, it, i was it, i suddenly a richness had come into my life that i'd never you know the likes of which i couldn't have even imagined mm. but simultaneously this enormous dread you know and my uh, of the responsibility of being a parent and for their for you know worry about their lives and and living in this time you know that we live in with all the stuff say so it's you know my my heart broke and was healed at the same time when my kids were broken and they um and and i I feel the same, you know, when I, when I, like you're saying with, when you look at the nature, mother nature, you know, at the moment and going ahead, I, I, I love nature so much. Um, and I spent, you know, most of my life, I lived in London for three years, but my, uh, it was physically, uh, that was a very debilitating time for me living there. And I was just craving nature the whole time. And, um, so 
okay you asked not, me about my practice <laughs> well I, 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 I wanted to say but that, that what would you say to people who are looking at the environment the environmental crisis um and they sorry we're just cr cracking up a little bit there yeah so what would you say to pe people that are looking at the environmental crisis and they are feeling their heartbreak how, you know how how do people navigate that turbulent sea i don't think that's my specialist area i think there are people who are speaking much more beautifully about that at the moment um i mean for me there has there it's a combination of having the space to have my heart broken and shutting things out when it's too much uh, I'm not. I'm not going to recommend that to anyone, but I think um, there is a process of being gentle with yourself, being kind to yourself, and I'm doing that because I've always been a person who's very sort of responsible and wants to take responsibility and be active. But there's also a time of being gentle and um, taking care of yourself, and knowing when's the time for action and when's the time. For taking care of yourself is something that only you can know, only the individual can can know. Obviously, if everyone takes care of themselves and shelters, um, that's not going to do the world any good. And um, any activism has to be grounded in a a deeper awareness of the whole and a deeper awareness of yourself. And um, there's too much activism. I mean, too much of the activism that I've been involved in over the years is, is totally unconscious. And um, it's just another form of anger and adolescent acting out. You know, it's like we have to be mature. Mm. So working on ourselves as well as doing whatever we're doing in the world is, is important. Yeah. Mm. That, that's that's a um a good answer and an honest one i like it and also i mean for me doing some kind of practice every day is absolutely essential and mm. um i i've had periods when i haven't um and it's very easy to get blasé about that you know just taking time to be with yourself to do some kind of meditation practice to do some kind of embodiment process to do some reflection um i was talking one of the people i interviewed which is who's done some amazing trainings and is still developing courses you know he's, he's singing you know um how did i make a fool of myself today is a great evening meditation yeah <laughs> um yeah what did so i do wrong yeah so I think, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask people was, you know, how does your practice connect you to the natural world? Um, you know, because. Well, today uh, I will yeah. tell you very specifically, mm. I have a, a rat in my back garden, probably living under my patio, who has just absolutely decimated my um, vegetable garden and all the mm -hmm. seedling. You know, what do I do? What do I do? That is a Cohen. 
<laughs> so sitting with those kind of koans, you know, and if the rat isn't digging them up, the slugs are eating the leaves. Mm. You know, it's um, it's heartbreaking in a way. You know, these lovely little tender plants that I've nurtured for yeah. two months, and they've just been decimated. Um, you know, so someone will say, oh, you've got a rat, put down poison. I can't. I actually can't put down poison for that rat. Um, I'll probably get a humane rat box and try and trap it and put it up on Headley Heath or something. But, you know, it's like, how does it connect me with nature? Well, it puts you in those kind of koans because nature is both wonderful and amazing and tunes us into the, the highest realms and puts us in touch with, um, you know, red in tooth and claw and the terrible things that happens in nature. Well, you know, as during this conversation, at the time of this conversation we're having, we're living through a massive natural phenomenon of the coronavirus. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a conundrum we're all living through. How do we, how do we live with this virus as part of our lives mm-hmm. in, in the world? You know, that's, that's nature uh, as well. Not sure. just all the good things. Totally. I mean, um, viruses and human cells have been in battle since the beginning, since we both evolved. So it's been a constant battleground with one winning sometimes and the other winning at another time. Mm. So is, is there anything you feel we haven't covered? I mean, I looking at the sort of list of questions I've got, I really feel that we've touched on all of them, really um you know through the narrative of your story you know so I, I, i'm ke- always keen to to you know to tap into some pe- people's personal practice but how does their personal practice work in, in in a community of people you know we're not just all uh hermits in the cave so to speak and then all you know wider society and the natural environment you know it's it's nested within all of those wider circles Yeah, I think there's space for community and there's space for hermits. Um, I happen to be in a relationship with someone whose every inclination is to be a hermit. And I have to respect that. Um, And I'm a community person. So, um, you know, I think uh, acknowledging and recognising the diversity um, is... You had a a strange question, actually, which I'm going to go back to, which was to what extent... There's something about copying. Mm. Well, yeah. How have you made these practices your own rather than becoming a copy of another person? <laughs> well, I think every every teacher, any teaching I've been involved in has been about growing one's, you know, your own authentic and um, spontaneous. I mean, with Michael's work, um, you can't copy what Michael does because the whole practice is tuning into your own authentic sense of energy and responding to that spontaneously. So, you know, as soon as you start copying, you've missed the point. And actually, Michael himself had a nice expression. He gave a talk once. He said, it's a bit like um, birds imprinting or when a a fledgling learns to fly, you know, you kind of, the, the, the fledgling will watch the parent fly and might, start to flap their wings you know but at some point they're gonna 
crawl out of the nest and they've got to bloody find their own wings and you know the the, the process of having watched it and perhaps practiced is useful but ultimately you know you've got to find your own wings and fly your own path so um i mean for me i've done so many different practices i wouldn't even know what comes from where but it's only really when you've sort of digested them and made them part of yourself that um you well you're, you're developing your own practice and my practice now i wouldn't say belongs to any one mm. tradition it gets fed by different streams at different times and i did a mindfulness and mb whatever it is mindful space stress reduction course earlier mm. this year absolutely loved it i wish i'd done it years ago that was another question what what mistakes mm. have i made not doing a mindfulness course right at the beginning yeah <laughs> um so but then you know maybe if i'd done it early on it wouldn't have had the same impact so that's right yeah that's right sometimes you're 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 right the fruit is ripe you know this uh, when it's ripe isn't it for for any of these particular things um yeah there's some uh, things like and and the other thing is just trusting your trusting my i mean i was blessed in the fact that some peculiar reason i did trust my intuition so you know taking sannyas which is about the nuttiest thing that a good respectable middle class english girl could do you know it's part of me was saying what but it was the right thing to do. Becoming a Trillium teacher, I mean, for heaven's sake, it's anything more scary than putting yourself out and saying, I'm going to be a teacher. Well, you know, part of the whole large part of myself is saying, ah, and then, but another part is saying, oh, this is the next challenge. Come on, you know, jump in, see where that will take you. And another part of you, I imagine, feels this is right you know like this this is time you know this is this is the time you know got to step up to the challenge that's been called yeah yeah and if at another point it didn't feel right then i'd step out of it again yeah well hang on we've just gone a bit glitchy (laughs) um yeah one thing i wanted to say about the thing of being a copy of other people there's there's nothing wrong with in the early phases of learning anything imitating other people and you know i I taught the drums uh for many years and nobody goes straight into improvising their own music you know you start by learning other people's songs and you know someone's telling you how to do you know what to do um and then only after you've kind of metabolize that and integrated it then you can start to make your own music i mean you, you can always make your own music right from the start um anybody could do that and i always encourage that as well but i was all you know always did some kind of formal learning where they were learning from books and and stuff that was that was out there and being created by another person and sometimes people can't bear if you think that someone's learning to sing let's say let's say the the violin some people can't bear to go through the phase in the beginning where they're making awful notes mm-hmm. on it they just want to get straight to the bit where it sounds really sweet um and i mean there's had it to the same actually with drum teaching you know, some people just they couldn't play in time or they weren't coordinated and they found it so they, it was it, they they were so humiliated um and they, they and the the best students were the were the ones that 
didn't mind that you know i would i really as a teacher i tried to be i tried to soothe and lubricate that journey for people of, of like it's okay you know it's, it's really okay to be what making what you think is a horrible sound and you don't need to worry about me because i've seen thousands of people do this you know it's, um and people you know they, they they trust what's happening and then they just keep going and then before they know it they're making the sweet sound but mm. but the, the worst students were the ones that they did it everyone maybe everyone had told them to that get it right yeah. that's it they wanted to get it right everyone had told them their whole life you're amazing everything you do is incredible um or something like that you know there's lots of reasons why people get into well, the this. the um the embodiment course the i think the second session was about what he calls calls the trolls of learning might have been the first session you know what are all the things that get in the way of you learning something new and it was just you know um, we were encouraged to reflect and watch you know it's like i don't want to make a fool of myself i want to get it right i know better i'm just going to pull back and disengage you know it's like we have 101 different trolls <laughs> that get in the way of learning something new but to actually bring those into consciousness and sort of say okay right oh i don't have that trouble oh, oh. <laughs> you know, that's, that's right the next one was um a session on meditation and boy did my trolls come up i know better than this guy mm. uh, he's getting it all wrong <laughs> so uh, so yeah the stuff that gets in the way the mb whatever it is the mindfulness course starts with the first session is very much on beginner's mind so um you know that being in that stage where you're willing to admit you don't know and yeah everything is fresh and new there, there's a there's a really great zen story which is related to what we're talking about here of um this scholar who comes to a zen teacher and and says you know tell me about your zen and it, um <clears throat> you know the, that's it yeah so saying um for those of uh, who haven't heard the story um this philosopher this scholar comes and he's got all these ideas about what it's all about and tell me it goes to the zen teacher tell me about your zen and the zen pour, the master starts pouring him a cup of tea and when it gets to the top he, he just doesn't stop pouring and it's just pouring out over the the cup and he says that your your cup's so full that you can't I can't pour my Zen into it or something along those lines. And it, okay. it says so much about what a, a good student in any in anything has to have that that humility of and uh, of of the beginner's mind and having the yeah. empty cup. You know, it's. Um, I read that story actually. I uh, in terms of integration since um, shutdown, I've been holding quiet half hours for my colleagues at work. Uh, which are essentially half an hour of meditation, but I just read something beforehand, and that was one of the ones I, uh, the stories I read to nice. uh, to start up, because we're all very mental. <laughs> we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a great story. It's actually so, the first first yeah. story in the book Zen Blood Zen Bones, I think it's called. Oh, that's a great book. That's got a, and the great thing about that book is at the end, it's got a whole thing on Kashmir Shaivism, which um, is really, you know, that's cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So it's a, a really good book, a very you know, old book. Um, Kashmir Shaivism is very core in some ways to Samuel's work. We've been talking a lot about it in Trillium, so mm. very much a, 
And that's for anyone listening, that's Samuel Bonder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, I mean, this, I think this has been, I've loved this conversation. Learning about your life has been so fascinating. Um, Anything you want to say uh, before we finish? I mean, you can say about where people can find more about your work, but you know, that'd be the last thing you say. What is there anything you, you think we haven't covered, which you think you would, you want to? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the um, a theme in quite a lot of what we've been talking about is just diversity. And I think every tradition, every movement, every organisation of which I have been involved in quite a lot, there's a tendency to want to say, this is the way it is, and this is the kind of experience you're having. Uh, and to just recognise that our path to awakening awareness whatever it is is as individual as ourselves and there are as many paths and as many experiences and as many routes and you don't know until you start the journey and how it's going to unravel so just to and i hear a lot of arguments in a way when people do start talking about their spiritual experiences you know it's like no that's not right it should be like this and you know as such a pointless argument because it is how it is and as i say the diversity for one person it's very simple other people it's dramatic um for one person it'll be all about opening the heart for another it'll be through the body you know um so or through consciousness so you know just acknowledging that diversity and and acknowledging your whoever's listening to that your individuality and saying yes to that is so important. Mm. Mm. Great. That's 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 good advice. And um so where where can people find out more about yeah, things you care that, about? You know, maybe okay. things you offer or or even things that you 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 want pe- the more people in the world to know about. Well, I, there's a profile of me on the Trillium Awakening website, uh, which has profiles. So there are about 42 teachers, I think, in Trillium now. And I'm one of those, so there's a profile there. Um, there's a community here in the UK, uh, which people can find about, out about by contacting me. And there's also someone else in London, who her name will also be on the website Beth Griggs um, but to join activities here there are a number of groups that meet regularly but you kind of have to people have to get to know you and you have to be invited into a group essentially though we sometimes have open events and open workshops so it's not the easiest thing to get involved with we don't have a, a UK website there is a UK Facebook page I am just finally finding my way onto Facebook, which <laughs> is a big adventure. Um, and I am talking with someone about setting up a web page, but that's probably some some ways ahead. But uh, sanjihills.gmail.com for me. Trillium Awakening is the website, which is based in the in the USA. I'm the only teacher this side of the Atlantic. Um, 
that's it really so i, I think for, yeah. for people that are into this multidisciplinary thing um you know this integral life practice if if they approach trillium the good thing about trillium is that they're uh you know they're not going to be told are oh, working on your ego is a waste of time or <clears throat> so it's gone a bit gone a bit glitchy there okay so um i was, I was saying that um, ego is alive and well yeah so we you know we're in trillium as far as i gather uh from you know the, the sort of mm. surface contact i've had with trillium is it's not a you know you go there ego is welcome uh spiritual experience <laughs> spiritual experiences are welcome body work is welcome mental you know theories and stuff are welcome it's like it's life it, life dramas are very welcome yeah so it's <laughs> it's a, it's a kind of group that that welcomes that whole spectrum of who we are and um you know what frustrates called, just to say it's called trillium because it's working on the consciousness embodiment and mutuality relationship um all three simultaneously like try yeah great so the trillium is a is a beautiful north american um flower with three petals which is in flower right now i think in may right. anyway. that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful symbol for it mm. um, and it's called the wild flowering of our spirituality which i also love awesome that is that's <laughs> that that's that transmits uh, a lot in that in just that phrase yeah. um so you know, if, if someone approaches that, it won't be like going to um, you know some of these other more partial um, communities or groups where you go there. If you start talking about working on your personality, they'll be like, you know, yeah. frowning on you and or you know, your body's an illusion, and you sh you know you should just your body's a cancer, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So it's, you you won't encounter that kind of vibe. Uh, from, from but nor will it be you have to work on your body or you have to work on your no. stuff i mean yeah. working on your stuff is encouraged yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. and we're we're currently much more opening up into incorporating arts and music and uh, other things it's been a bit talk orientated up till now but uh, i'm just currently working with a team on developing a sort of set of self-inquiry tarot cards so with right. some beautiful images which are cool thank you so much i really really appreciate you taking <laughs> taking the time out to to be so generous and share share your story and your wisdom um with uh with me and uh anyone listening and thanks um, for inviting me ralph it's yeah been, i don't often talk about myself so it was a great pleasure thank you great. for giving me the opportunity <laughs> yeah. and uh uh, stay, you know, stay safe, as everybody's saying. <laughs> stay, stay well. Stay well. And uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last uh, few months. And I look forward to, um, you know, do, uh, having more interaction with you over. Okay, and good luck with your series. Time. Yeah, well, thanks okay. a lot. Okay. Right. Lots of love, Sanji. You too. Bye. Bye.